Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Buckle up, because it's going to be a long ride. It's going to be a wild ride. <laughs> no one cares, but we're going to tell you anyways. This is Popcorn Chats. Okay, sipping my liquids. I drank a lot last night. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Popcorn Chats. I'm Katie. I'm McKay. <coughs> oh, my God. And Katie's dying. <laughs> Is that the Rona? <laughs> Girl, no. I literally just inhaled my own <coughs> saliva. <laughs> what a way to start out the episode. We're back. I'm sorry about that. Um, You're all good. We have a very exciting and fun episode planned for today. We're talking about the genre type of movie known as coming of age. Yeah, so I think if you don't know what coming of age is, basically think Breakfast Club, uh, Pretty in Pink, anything with uh, Molly Ringwald in the 80s, and then in the 90s think Clueless stuff like that and then Mean Girls later. You could think of Mean Girls as a kind of coming of age movie? Yeah, I would think of it as a coming of age. Interesting. Okay. I mean, it falls into multiple different categories, but I think it's still a coming of age. And then more recently, like The Fault in Our Stars, Perks of Being a Wallflower, and then really recently, like Lady Bird and Moonlight. Do you want the definition of a coming of age movie? Please, I have it here. Please, please. So coming of age is defined as growth of a protagonist from youth to adulthood, and they tend to emphasize dialogue or internal monologue over action. That I works. I just felt like I should include that. But if yeah. you're thinking about coming of age, you're pretty much thinking high schoolers. High schoolers, sometimes middle school, but pretty much it's always focusing on high schoolers and their journeys of self. Yeah. Yep, it's a lot of like losing your virginity, drinking for the first time, emerging into the what teenagers think is the adult world and kind of navigating that space. And it seems to me that there's always some hurdle that the protagonist has to jump over. And more often than not, in coming of age movies, they do jump over that hurdle while kind of dealing with some other things, possibly like personal, internal mental health struggles um, or like family relationships. Yeah. Mikhail and I love these types of movies. I think. I think this is one of my. Fa- I'm like, uh, I'd say it's like my second favorite genre. What's your first? Probably just like overall drama or like. I don't, I don't know. Probably just, like, overall drama, I guess. I don't know. I need some, like, some, some drama. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. Know. I don't know how to describe it. But if I'm talking book-wise, like, how, because a lot of these movies are adaptations yeah. of novels, like a lot True. of films tend to be, and YA is my favorite genre to read. YA, right. or now New Adult. I really like New Adult a lot, but YA, I still read predominantly YA novels. I think every generation kind of has their coming-of-age films, like, starting in the 80s, I would argue, and then up until now. It's kind of like the media pop culture version that you watch as a kid and then you you unconsciously like form your expectations about 
high school and teenagehood based on that stuff. And not saying that everybody does that, but a good amount of people do. And I'm definitely one of those people that I guess, okay, this isn't a film, but I think our conversation might fall into TV a little bit, but like Glee and One Tree Hill, those Mm -hmm. TV shows heavily influenced my expectations about what high school is and should be like and how I as a high schooler should act and try to be like and that's just it's not reality so I don't know that's just interesting it's a it's been a really interesting week watching these films and Mm -hmm. thinking about this topic because I don't know coming of age now like every generation growing up is different too like Mm -hmm. the way we have grown up is so different than the way people in the 80s would have like grown up and gone to high school even when you see technology over these films and how they've played such a role like in perks of being a wallflower granted that was dated even though it came out in the 2010s it was dated to be way earlier than that i think it was it supposed to be like 90s maybe yeah uh like they had cassettes in that so it clearly was not 2000s but when you see like the evolution of like cell phones and texting and social media like that was not something that was super prevalent in like our coming of age movies as Mm -hmm. both of us being 23 so back in like 2012 to 2015 Mm -hmm. i feel like cell phones were important in ya but not really social media but now there's, like, not a single YA movie that is not focusing on, or does not have some element of social media in it. Yeah, and it's just interesting to see, like, how those things that define each generation, because I would argue that our generation is heavily defined by social media and how Mm -hmm. that has influenced our lives, like, how that is handled in these films. And we can talk more about examples of stuff like that being handled well and stuff like that not being handled well how are you (laughs) i'm doing i'm tired i'm really really tired but how are you doing yeah i'm doing pretty good you know just i get so down about the world and everything yeah that's going on it's so disheartening and Mm -hmm. yeah I don't know I know we said last week that we may not be like doing an intro anymore but if you are in a place where you feel that it is appropriate to move on and to post thirst traps on your Instagram I'm not trying to judge you or anything but like check yourself please and check back into what's going on in our country because it's just really a crazy time Mm-hmm. And everybody needs to be somewhat engaged while, you know, maintaining your own mental health and everything. But I just mm-hmm. wanted, I can't let an episode of this pass. And I know we don't have a huge, huge platform, but whoever's listening, please just like stay informed and involved, involved with everything that's going on to the best of your ability because it like things have to change. So, and that's we're still it. going to every week. Uh, try to include some new active petitions, some different yeah. places to donate. Maybe we'll even start looking for like some more educational type articles or something that we've either read or even like those YouTube videos where yep. certain ads are getting played. Like if we can start linking some of those, we're not going to stop doing that. So definitely check those out in our description boxes. We'll shorten our descriptions to make more room for those. Moving yes. forward. Actually, if we want it, one, the emotional distress from the world, but the emotional distress, I just finished this book series that I've been reading. 
I plowed through each book was like almost 600 pages long and I finished it over the span of a week and there were there were three books and then like a no- novelette or something after mm-hmm. that was like 300 pages I just like I don't know how to move on I don't get how you do that. I don't get how you read, like, that fast and that quickly. I'm such a slow reader. I kind of put together a list of, like, ones that I like, ones that I'm neutral on, and ones that I dislike. Not really, like, any super big reasons behind them. I figured we could just kind of run down, like, kind of just be like, what ones do you tend to like? Because there are so many of just kind of, like, what are some of your favorites, what are some of your least favorites kind of thing. Right. So my dislikes. Um, I did not like Booksmart. I feel like I'm in the minority there. I don't know what, like, I guess it just missed its mark for me. I didn't really like it. Eighth grade, again, another unpopular opinion. I didn't love it. I didn't, like, hate, none of these I hated. Actually, there's one of these that I hated. But still, it's just, it was my favorite. Next, Mm -hmm. Five Feet Apart. I never saw that. That was not good. You don't need to see it. Um, Don't waste your time. Uh, Every Day. That was not good. I feel like a lot of these is. are new ones and like I don't know they, maybe they've lost their touch every day mm-hmm. didn't like that one and everything everything was bad it was not good either is that the one where she can't go outside yeah oh okay and I don't get like where that one went so wrong because it had two good stars it was Nick Nick Wilson from Love Simon is that his name the guy from Love Simon he, yeah or Nick Rob Nick Robinson and then Amandala Stamberg. So it's or Steinberg, Stamberg. Gosh, I just butchered both their names. But anyways, mm. two good actors, but the movie's bad. Yeah, again with Michaela, it's like I'm not one to be like, no, I'm not going to sit down and watch that. But yeah, these are just like some of the weaker ones, in my opinion. Um, Breakfast Club kind of falls into my dislike just because mm. I think for the time that it came out, it was revolutionary and different but then in our time where we have glee and multiple different shows and movies showing like kids from different backgrounds intermixing and it's not that big of a deal high school Mm -hmm. musical so i don't know but um yeah just the first time i saw that i was like i didn't get the hype at all sorry to like over explain that and then i think like ferris bueller's day off again i was like this is so overhyped i don't get it but again different time I couldn't relate to it as easily. Yeah, more of the recent ones I don't love. Like, to all the boys I loved before, I think I liked the first one in that. I watched the second one, and I was like, oh my god, no. Second one's not good. Yeah, I think a lot of people think that, though. Um, I think the recent ones I struggle with. Like, I watched um, the half of it the other night on Netflix. And it's not, it's a little cringy. It's kind of bad. It's not the best coming-of-age authentic movie ever but it does I just don't like the way it handles like social media usage Mm -hmm. I don't want to get too much into it but it's not like a huge strong dislike but it wasn't like wow this is amazing what are some of your neutrals I'm ready for (sighs) the pod to have oh my god don't say it ladybird (laughs) what I okay it's not it's not that I don't like it but it's not that I love it either and I rewatched this one again, and I do enjoy it, but in the scheme of them, it's not enough to put it on, like, my absolute favorites. I don't hate it. I do enjoy it. It's just not, personally, for me, my favorite. And The Edge of Seventeen, again, I don't hate it. I enjoy it, mm-hmm. but I couldn't put it on, like, my loves list. Right. Yeah. 
I have to agree about Booksmart. I think I'm neutral on that one. I think it was just really overhyped. Again, maybe that was. Um, it. I don't really understand why it hasn't. It had like a 99 percent on Rotten Tomatoes at the time. Um, Edge of Seventeen. I completely agree. Um, what was the other one? Oh, Eighth Grade. Yeah, that one was so cringy and so hard for me to watch. Not not cringy like it was bad, but just I felt so secondhand embarrassment and so yeah. bad for this girl. Like, <laughs> so it wasn't a super enjoyable movie for me to watch, um, which maybe is what they were going for. So I don't know. But The Fault in Our Stars, honorable mention, you know, obviously got to love it. It definitely marks my 2012. But yeah, it's not anything groundbreaking or spectacular i don't know what are your faves well the ultimate if you've listened to this podcast you already know the spectacular now that is like top of the top for me best coming of age movie of all time in my opinion um i love the fault in our stars i love love simon i love moonlight love perks of being a wallflower love call me by your name and juno I completely forgot about oh, Juno, but I love Juno. My God, I forgot about that too. Yeah, that is a great one. Oh, I should have rewatched that. Damn it. That one is so good. That one is so good. <laughs> I remember feeling so like rebellious watching that when we were younger because right? we were a little bit like a t- little too young, I guess, for the target audience of Juno when it first came out, and it felt kind of like scandalous when we got to watch it. <laughs> Yeah. I remember like wanting to watch it with my mom though after we watched it at our sleepover. I was like it's really like informative and stuff and like good. And she was like okay, yeah, we'll watch it and she was like I think that's like glorifying and pregnancy and like not realistic. And I was like, "Well, how do you know?" <laughs> <laughs> but she's right. I mean, not everybody just has a Jennifer Garner waiting in their backyard to take their unwanted child so (laughs) that's true (laughs) what about your loves oh yes um so my all-time favorite coming of age story is ladybird again i think if you guys know this podcast you know me greta gerwig is like my god i love her i want to absorb and learn everything i can from her uh i think she's great and that movie is in my mind, the perfect coming-of-age film. Like, it, there isn't another one better than that. Katie, can we just make a pack right here, right now, and put it on the podcast? That when you, like, intern or shadow Greta Gerwig, you need to get me a meeting with Adam Driver. Because <laughs> they are sure. friends. <laughs> okay, I will make a pact with you. Yes. Okay, you heard it, folks. It's on the air. It's on the record. Katie's going to make it happen, and if we don't, I'm holding her to it. Yeah, and then Perks of Being a Wallflower, I think, is another one of my favorites. Um, Little Women, again, another Greta film. But uh, I would. it's more than a coming-of-age story, so I'm hesitant to be like, that is the perfect coming-of-age story. But we've talked about Little Women on this podcast before in our Oscar episode, but I just think the way she took the classic... Uh, Louisa May Alcott story and the way she did it to emphasize the coming of age part of it a little bit more by um, intercutting between the past and the present. Um, Perfect. So, Mm -hmm. and then Moonlight, obviously, Call Me By Your Name, of course. A new one that I want to insert 
is last night the king of staten island came out and i watched that and i was a little drunk but i am confident in my belief that that was a near perfect movie blew my expectations out of the water it does feature a 24 year old protagonist pete davidson i think his name is steve in the movie um of course he named himself steve (laughs) right and yeah so he's not in the typical age range that coming of age films tend to like focus their protagonists on. However, I would strongly argue that The King of Staten Island is still a coming of age film, and we can get more into that later. Katie, I'm surprised that you watched that. I mean, not in the sense of it being like a film or a topic that you wouldn't like, but I like to tease Katie that I'm like, we will never be on the same wavelength on this agreement because Katie is a huge Ariana Grande fan where I am a huge Pete Davidson fan. And I'm like, when they split up, you know, Katie and I took our sides. (laughs) So I'm shocked you watched his movie and loved it. Yeah, well, again, like I said, it blew my expectations out of the water. You know, I was really excited to just have a night where I got to watch a new movie after being Mm -hmm. in quarantine and everything and not being able to see premieres. It was a delightful evening, um, but it was an amazing movie. It completely blew my expectations out of the water. Like I said, Pete Davidson is really talented. He's hilarious and a good writer. And I do love Ariana Grande. I was not personally involved in their relationship. (laughs) And to take a side would be to say that I knew them personally, and I don't. So I think I can respect their work and them as people, as individuals now, because as they are now individuals, separate, not in a relationship. I think that is appropriate. (laughs) That was such a politically correct answer for, like, a so not so serious thing. I know, but you know what? Ariana Grande fans are a little spicy, okay? They'll come at you if you say the wrong thing. So I'm being very particular, but I do. That was a very truthful statement I just said. I love Ariana. I appreciate Pete Davidson. I wouldn't Mm -hmm. go so far to say that I love him. But this movie was really good. And if you are financially able, because it was $20, and I couldn't believe that, but... He should have been on my men I would risk the coronavirus for presentation. Because he 100% would. I love that man. He was very cute in the movie. I was like, okay, he's I find him so attractive when my roommate and I... We were watching SNL one night, and we both kind of looked at each other... Because we didn't really know each other, like, that well yet. And she was kind of like, do you like him? And I was like, do you like him? And she was uh-huh. like, do you think he's cute? And I was like, I think he's cute. Do you think he's cute? <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. He is very, like, unconventionally attractive, attractive. I got another diversion on this episode. <laughs> yeah, go watch The King of Staten Island now if you haven't already. I can't wait to see it. Do you think coming-of-age movies are limited to that age group for audiences? Oh, so, like, the target audience is the protagonist age in the movie? Mm-hmm. Like, do you think, is that why some of these more recent ones, do you think that's why you and I haven't connected as much? Like, do you think that we're just past that age range? Or do you think that coming-of-age movies are for any age group? The target audience is definitely people... Well, it depends on the movie. Like, 
people going through that age right now, typically, yes, I think that would be the target audience. And then anybody younger than that, too, you know? Like, I was in... When did Perks of Being a Wallflower come out? I feel like we were in middle school. I think it was, like, 2011 or 2012. So, like, about to be in real high school, because Michaela and I went to a weird school system where we were in upper middle school, 8th and ninth grade, so... That's when a 2011 to 2012... 2012 was, like a, a, was Perks of Being a Wallflower. Okay, so that was like a big coming-of-age boom period. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember seeing a lot of those types of movies then, and I wasn't in the thick of high school. But I, you know, could relate to what some of the characters are going through. And again, like I was saying before, I think it it's like setting your expectations. Did the creators of the movie want to target kids who were not yet in high school i don't know but i do think you have a point with people older not necessarily relating to it as easily but then with a film like ladybird that takes place in 2002 obviously an older gener it's going to resonate more with an older generation who was in high school during that time whereas you and i were babies Mm -hmm. during that time so yeah but it obviously resonates with me a lot and older generations too. So, yeah. I think that while they are made specifically to target that age group that they are portraying in the film, I don't think that they are limited to that age group because even years later, I think people can look back and see something reflected in themselves in these movies. Yeah. So, while you're saying like Lady Bird isn't necessarily targeted for. Or it is made for 16 to 18 year olds. I don't think that they necessarily might relate to it as much as you said, some of the older audiences or even like the spectacular now. If you are me looking back on that as a 23 year old, I'm not going off to college anymore. I'm not looking forward to that next step in life as these kids are. But I can look back and like remember that like first love experience or when you look back at uh, Fall in Our Stars is just an extreme example. Example. Um, but like Juno even, you know, like everyone can look back and see different things reflected in themselves. So I think in that way, that's why the, this genre can transcend and keep going. Like it was popular in the eighties, popular in the nineties, two thousands. I would argue 2012 to like 2015 was its peak, at least in our lifetime. And then now it's kind of died out a bit, but I don't think it will ever be officially out or like outdated because people will always connect with these yeah and I wouldn't say it's dying out I think you and I are just not as in the group of people that it's being promoted to anymore and we're not in the group of people that are talking about it anymore because all these Netflix originals those are hot topics kids are talking about the the new one the half of it and all that so I think that's their generation's yeah. Yeah, I feel so the one the half of it I haven't seen. You brought up to all the boys I loved before earlier and I purposely left that one off of my list cuz I don't know about you, I don't see that as a YA film. I see that more as just like a romance but like a teen yeah. romance movie. I don't see that as like coming of age. So I think when we get into kind of what we wanted to look at next, which is like what makes a coming of age movie, yeah. I can talk about why I don't think that one fits in necessarily versus other ones but do you want to kind of get into what you think is 
the most important thing in the genre. I think there needs to be a protagonist that has a hurdle in front of them, something that is holding them back from maturing or holding them back from progressing in their lives. More often than not in these films, they're able to overcome that hurdle. And then there might be some other things happening to them along the way. They might be having feelings for somebody for the first time. Friendships are going through trials and tribulations. Maybe they're applying to colleges. Maybe they have family issues. So I think those are like key staples. I think milestones of some kind doesn't have to be the same milestones across all of them. But And when I say milestones... I don't necessarily mean like graduating and prom and homecoming, although that can be considered milestones, but I also mean like losing your virginity or smoking or drinking for the first time, getting your driver's license. I think doing things for the first time Mm -hmm. and what that feels like and conveying that feeling. I think definitely with the milestones, for sure, you want to see, there are so many big milestones of people this age that those need to be included in order to make it authentic. Um, I think there are like three things that it needs to have at least one of. Sometimes they have all three, sometimes they only have one, but like these three things are kind of what I look for to classify it as a Y, besides the age range. Um, It either needs to explore a relationship with a family member a relationship with self or a relationship with like a first love or some sort of friendship that tends to be the focus in a lot of why movies is the relationship that this character has with other people. So that's something that I look for is one of those three. And most importantly, I think self growth in a character. That's why I think to all the boys I loved before, those characters don't really have any personal growth at all. I mean, you could argue that there are certain things here and there, confidence, blah, blah, blah. I mean, all that's great. But it's not really, I feel like, as monumental or, as you said, as big of a hurdle that they go through versus Mm -hmm. other YA films. Yeah, I think that's a really good point and something I kind of didn't think about with To All the Boys I Loved Before. I think I just lumped it in with the rest of them because... They're teenagers. Because they're teenagers, exactly. So, yeah, that's a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up. What characteristics about your list of really strong YA films, what characteristics in those set them apart from the other ones on your list? I think the thing that I look for the most in a YA film that makes it like great would be authenticity. And yeah. I think that's where sometimes like they can go so wrong is when you yeah. have filmmakers that obviously are not the age of these characters making them and then putting their own assumptions of what these characters and these children, like they are children, they're teenagers, yeah. of what they're like on to these characters. Yes. So when I see movies, like, I can't help but use the example, like, I think how you you will use Lady Bird a lot. I will use The Spectacular now a lot. Something yeah. in that is that Sutter and Amy are so just authentic teenagers that while they're dealing with sometimes larger issues like Sutter, like, dealing with substance abuse or dealing with alcoholism that he doesn't really know he he hasn't really fully grasped that he has that yet but it's such like a teenager's portrayal of it and it's such like an authentic showing of love and like that first Mm -hmm. love and I just want to see that I don't want to see a 40 year old 
writing themselves as a teenager. I want to see a 40 year old writing a 17 year old and like being true to that voice and letting their voice really come through in that way. So I would say that is just the biggest thing. If I don't feel like the character feels that age, then I don't like it. Going off that, I completely agree with you. And I think it's so obvious when it's like a 50 year old person who has A, been living in Hollywood for years and doesn't even know what reality is at this point to the vast majority of people. But then also they're 50 years old. They don't know what it's like to be a teenager in 2020. So their depiction of being a teenager is largely based on stereotypes. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, I think a good example of it going the wrong way, we've talked about it on this podcast before, 13 Reasons Why, is now just this clusterfuck of a show that, like, these kids have gone through everything that teenagers have gone through. There's been school shootings, in the new world that we live in and all this stuff but it's like that's like surface level what teenagers in america go through mm-hmm. i don't know it's hard for me to explain but it's very obvious when that happens when it's an older person projecting what they think it's like to be a teenager very inaccurate when i was watching the half of it there was a moment where everybody gets the same instagram notification at once and everybody looks down at their phone and laughs it's like that has never happened people don't actually like laugh at their phone unless it's like the funniest thing you've ever seen so like I don't know I was like not everybody gets the same like Instagram notification it was just so obvious like (laughs) whoever wrote that doesn't know what being a kid is like now yeah small things seem big and the audience is able to feel that on the scale that the young person is feeling it on So even if you're able to recognize that what they're going through is maybe trivial and won't be such a big deal in a couple months or in a couple years to that character, you're still able to feel the emotions that they're feeling and understand and empathize with them in that moment. Mm -hmm. And you don't need this big, huge thing like a school shooting or like a bunch of kids killing themselves to evoke that emotion. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? I'm... Yeah. I feel like I might be sounding insensitive right now and I'm not trying to but that's just where 13 reasons why I think got it wrong is like they're trying to evoke that emotion from the audience but they're using these huge crazy most of the time unrelatable things to evoke that whereas Ladybird goes through minimal effort to do that yeah I feel way more watching something like the spectacular now or even ladybird one that yeah. wasn't necessarily my favorite but watching that of like that dressing room scene of yeah. her shopping oh my God. for her prom prom dress or homecoming dress whichever yeah. dress shopping that like i felt that and it's such a simple scene or like the walk through the woods in the spectacular now like that conversation mm-hmm. like that evokes true emotion out of me where then when i'm watching like you said 13 reasons why or some of the more extreme examples i'm kind of just like this is hollywood's version of these events where ladybird spectacular now moonlight call me by your name these are just like real representations of it does that yeah. make sense no it it definitely does. It's just, you can tell when something is coming from a truthful place. That's it, yeah. Especially if you have lived that time of your life already. So, like, when you're a kid in middle school watching something about high school, you don't know any better. 
And so you might think, yeah, that's what high school is actually like. But you don't know because you haven't been there. So I think it's easier to identify moments that are like authentic and not when you're older. Again, just relatable, which sounds dumb, but like it's got to be relatable. Again, going back to 13 Reasons Why, like the majority of people are not going to be able to relate to Clay Jensen or like Pretty Little Liars. The majority of people aren't going to be able to relate to those girls, but a strong coming of age film. And again, I say this loosely because representation is severely lacking in this genre and all genres. My hope for an effective coming of age film and story is that even if you didn't grow up in that exact day and age or in that exact situation, there is so much truthfulness that the story is developing from and coming from. You are able to resonate with some aspect of the film because it comes from a place of truth and authenticity. Mm-hmm. So like Moonlight, obviously there's not enough representation for LGBTQ, Black people and other POC um and a lot of times like LGBTQ coming of age films that handle LGBTQ subject matter are often labeled as a queer film like Call Me By Your Name or Moonlight I don't feel like I'm in a position to say if that's harmful good or bad or not but just something to keep in mind I guess (laughs) I don't know yeah no I definitely think you brought up a really good point about variety because I think when we're talking about what coming of age movies need to include within that though there is such a broad like some of our favorite ones that we've mentioned those are so broad that you could never look at those and be like oh call me by your name and juno are the same like you would never see that but yet there are so many similarities in them yeah so i think that's so important that there's a variety of coming of age genres because if we're saying that all people want to see is themselves represented in these movies then you need to have that representation so moonlight I can't relate to that movie, but I understand it and I know why it's important to be made. Lady Bird, that one doesn't necessarily speak to my experience, but I can still watch it and enjoy it. Call Me By Your Name, I would have never thought watching that, that I would really have anything in common with it. But then as we've talked about in that episode and as you and I talked, Katie, that one scene that just hit home for me. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, I would have never expected to see something of myself represented in this that then it's the movies like The Spectacular Now that I look at and I'm like, I see so much of myself in Sutter that then I'm like, that speaks to me. But that's not going to speak to everyone. So that's why Moonlight's important. That's why Juno's important. That's why Call Me By Your Name is important. And yes, as you said, there's so much more room for more representation. Mm -hmm. But we need that. Or like Love, Simon too. I can't relate to Simon's journey at all, but I watch that and I can feel so much empathy for that his character. There definitely just needs to be more of that, especially in coming of age movies because everyone's experience is so different, but that doesn't mean that it's not important to have on screen. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like what you said with the moonlight, obviously you and I grew up in upper middle class suburbia. We cannot closely identified to Chiron and Moonlight mm-hmm. as close to him as we can to Ladybird. But we are human beings who can feel the emotion that he's feeling because we've gone along on this journey with him. And mm-hmm. although we have no idea what it's like to be black and gay growing up in the projects, we know what it's like to have kids make fun of us for something that we can't change about ourselves. Obviously not on the same level as Chiron, 
but we are able to sympathize with what that character goes through on a really, really deep level, and that's why that movie is so successful, among other reasons. But yeah, and then I think another attribute that makes these movies strong is when they don't take themselves too seriously. So, for example, like the opening of The Edge of Seventeen, which I would argue this film could be stronger, but I think the opening is perfect, where she goes and tells um, Woody her Harrelson. teacher that... <laughs> Yeah, that she's uh, going to kill herself, and he's like, yeah, me too. I hate my life because you come and ruin my lunch every day. <laughs> it's handling really heavy subject matter, but it's not in a condescending way where it's like, yes, this is the serious stuff that teenagers go through. It's mm-hmm. handling it in a way that's just not over-dramatized for the sake of being dramatic and pulling in audiences. I think for me... A strong coming-of-age film ends with the young subject not having figured everything out. Mm. They've overcome the hurdle that was established early in the film that we recognize they had to overcome, or maybe one of the hurdles that was holding them back. But they don't have it all figured out because, newsflash, you don't figure everything out in high school. You don't... You don't... I think sometimes coming-of-age films can perpetuate the idea that... You come of age from 14 to 18 and you are now the person that you're going to be for the rest of your life. That's not true at all. There's phases of coming of age that go on long beyond you turn 18 or 16 or whatever. A movie that ends like Lady Bird where she, it's not a big grandiose happy ending of her like smiling and looking off into the distance. She still has a tumultuous relationship with her mother and the way that that was established in the film obviously it would be unrealistic for that to be resolved by the end of the hour and 45 minutes and couple of months that this film has taken place during so Mm -hmm. yeah I kind of like more of an ambiguous ending in YA films more so I guess than in others because I like kind of knowing that these characters are kind of just left, you know? It's just kind of like, yeah. where are they going to go? Because that's kind of just how it is. And if you mm-hmm. stayed the same as you were when 18... God, could you imagine, Katie, if we were still the same as we oh. were when we were 18? Without all no. the, like, changes that you and I have both had yeah. over the last five years? That'd be... I don't want to think about it. No. Um, but, like, when you think about The Fault in Our Stars, satisfying ending, but also you're like, Hazel's going to die. Yeah. It's just a matter of when. The Spectacular now, I like the book ending more. It ends on a yeah. much more like somber note. If you don't mm-hmm. want a spoiler for the book, skip ahead like 30 seconds. But in the book, Sutter just goes and gets drunk at a bar with some guy and wanders off into a field and has like an internal monologue of just being like, he. Re- it just looks kind of not so great for him. But in the movie, yeah. he goes and finds Amy, whatever. It's good. Um, Lady Bird, like you said, it doesn't wrap it up in a neat little tiny bow and she doesn't call up her mom and they're like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I love you so much. And we're going to be perfect now. Yeah. I like that more that it's a realistic, authentic ending of showing someone of being like, okay, they may have overcome one thing or even perks of being a wallflower. It ends on like a pretty happy note, but you also know like the, this kid has gone through so much trauma already in his life. Exactly. It ends on like a happy moment where his friends are coming back to visit him, but like he did just get out of a hospital where he was being treated for like abuse and trauma that he experienced as a child. Like, and he 
is going to have to start school without his friends. Like, mm-hmm. there's still a lot that he is going to have to overcome mm-hmm. and learn. And it's not, it's a happy moment that it ends on, but it's not necessarily a happy ending. Yeah. And movies that end with the end of high school in particular, it's like another expectation that was set into my mind as a kid watching these movies was high school ends in a neat little bow. Everything that was left unsaid, you've said it and you've mended all wounds. Everything is good. That doesn't happen. Like college or high school just ends and then you leave and like, you don't see people ever again. And like, that's just not the way things are in these movies all the time. So I appreciate the rare moments that actually depicts that authentically. Okay, so Katie, you kind of already talked about this a bit or kind of highlighted that you wanted to move into it. So what do you think are things that take away from the from the success mm-hmm. of these movies? Yeah, so I did talk about this a little bit before, but like handling of technology nowadays, I think is a huge takeaway. And it's when it's not handled well and authentically, just comes off messy and unrealistic and then it kind of taints the entire movie so i think euphoria is a perfect example of a great handling of how social media influences kids and the lives that we are forced to live now like our generation michaela and i arguably is we are the first generation to grow up with social media Mm -hmm. and sometimes the way that it's handled is like we chose to do it and like it we love it so much and like it's an adult view of kids nowadays and our generation but it's like that's not the way like we are guinea pigs in an experiment that like nobody knows that the repercussions of and we are constantly bearing the brunt of the repercussions of something that is you know harmful at times but then also really good like we are the pioneers of this new platform yeah and that's a huge defining thing of our generation that older generations sometimes it seems struggle to grasp as something to be taken seriously it shows in movies that don't handle it at the serious level that it that it should be taken as so Mm-hmm. I think that's just a huge takeaway. I think Love, Simon does a pretty good job of showing how influential the internet and social media. That is three people riding on a moped down the street. That is not safe. That is not no safe, No helmets. Sir. I think that is my biggest gripe. Besides things coming across disingenuously, which we are... Is that a word, disingenuously? Yeah. Besides that, because as I said, it being authentic is the thing that I admire the most. If it's not, that's the thing that can damn it, which I already kind of talked about. But the technology aspect slash pop culture references, I'm going to kind of lump those Mm -hmm. two together. And that's something that bothers me. I'm going to talk books for a second. That's something that really Mm -hmm. bothers me in YA books is when there are A, pop culture references, or B, an immense amount of technology references. If they're talking about, like, emailing, you know it's dated now. If it's talking about texting, you know that it's, like, more current. If they're talking about, like, FaceTiming, it's like, okay, that's current now, but who knows in the future, you know? Yeah. For me, personally, I don't like that. I think it kind of takes away from things when they're too overly reliant on technology in movies one just the look of it 
Because you know when you're looking back, even rewatching Pretty Little Liars, the first season of their mm-hmm. phones, it's so yeah. like it's just weird to look at that it dates it, and I don't like that. I don't like pop culture references because they also date things the same way. So yeah, YA movies I don't love when they have a ton of references to that because I think it kind of takes away the transcendent quality some of them can have so i think that's why some of the better ones are less reliant on technology and social media and pop culture however you do have to acknowledge that that's a huge part of coming of age for these later generations so i feel like it's kind of a double-edged sword now almost where i sound like a hypocrite to say i don't want it in there but then be like, that's not authentic to this generation. Where Euphoria, when I'm watching it, I don't feel like that seems dated. But 10 years from now, am I going to say the same thing? I don't know. It's just, you're so right. It's hard. It's a really delicate thing to handle social media, especially. I mean, adults just don't understand it the way that our generation and kids nowadays do. And it could be argued, too, that you and I don't understand it on the level that kids younger than us nowadays understand it like it's just Mm -hmm. constantly changing and each generation kind of has their own way of viewing it and utilizing it even like the introduction of dating apps and euphoria is interesting because that's so popular and has become popular i think again with our generations there's always been online dating but tinder bumble Hinge, mm-hmm. Grinder, those kind of apps became popular yeah. with our age group first, kind of, and that's just kind of common now. You know, it used to be kind of like, oh, you met your boyfriend on Bumble? That's weird. Where now it's like, oh, you didn't meet your significant other on a dating app? Huh, what was that like? So yeah. I think that'll be interesting to see moving forward when more people start incorporating that into coming-of-age movies. I could see them going that direction more, so. yeah. Or more of just like social media, meeting online than meeting in person, which I think there have already been some examples of that. But I would also say that like something that can take away is just how the actor or actress plays the role. Mm. Um, Haley Steinfeld's portrayal in The Edge of Seventeen, I'm not completely sold on it, especially in the first half of the movie. I think she drives it home a little bit better at the end, the second half of the movie, but I don't quite believe her performance of this insecure unsatisfied with her life attitude problem just because yeah I don't know I think there were times where I could tell she was struggling to get into that headspace and I don't want to make assumptions about Haley Seinfeld but she won an Oscar when she was like nine and has had a very successful music and film acting career so I don't think she's ever I don't want to make assumptions but I mean it would make sense if she wasn't really able to get into that headspace super easily so I think that's just another thing that can maybe take away from in my opinion a perfect coming of age story yeah no I agree with that I think it's You can tell when someone is trying to act like a teenager, first of all, because often I think we should also talk about how actors are typically not the age of the characters that they're playing. So if you're thinking about it, I think you can see when someone is trying to play younger versus when someone is like fully immersing themselves in that role. So talking about Saoirse Ronan... And Lady Bird, she was not 17 filming that, but she is totally believable 
as this teenager with this contentious relationship with her mom. Timothy yeah. Chalamet, he seemed so believable in that role. Same with Miles Teller, I think was like 24 or 25 playing Sutter, mm-hmm. but yet mo- one of the most believable teenage portrayals I can think of. So mm-hmm. I just think it all comes down to, I'm sorry, again, nothing against Haley Seinfeld. She's just not my favorite actress. I I didn't buy her in The Edge of Seventeen. Yeah. I didn't buy into her. Same with Booksmart. I didn't really buy into Beanie Feldstein in it. I'm sorry. I do like her in other roles. I liked her in Lady Bird. I just didn't love her in Booksmart. And maybe it was her character, but I just, I didn't buy into her. Yeah. I got similar vibes with um, Beanie and, and uh, oh my God, Booksmart and Haley Seinfeld in Edge of Seventeen. I think they had similar performances where it was like overacting the teenage angst. Mm-hmm. Or even the entire Perks of Being a Wallflower cast. They just feel so teenagerish in this. And especially for arguably out of the movies, like up there with Moonlight and I would say Call Me By Your Name, up there with some of the most like, or heavier content in some of the YA films. But they all have such like that teenage innocence about them, but not innocence, you know? I don't know. I think that entire cast is so good in that movie. I had forgotten how much I loved that movie. I also forgot how absolutely destroyed I felt watching that movie. But it's so good. So well Yeah. Done. Yeah, you're right. That is another really good example of authentic portrayals of different types of high schoolers. They don't fall into like all one category Mm -hmm. i think um emma watson and ezra miller do a really good job of playing people who have been in high school for too long like they're ready to go and leave when we first meet them at the beginning of the movie and charlie's character is a completely different type of teenager and i like the way that that is portrayed again it's like teenagers just because they haven't been alive for as long as you 45 50 year olds they're complex and individuals and going through their different struggles that are hard for them to deal with. Okay, so Katie, I kind of said earlier that I thought that YA movies had kind of, or coming of age, had kind of died out a bit. Mm-hmm. And you said that you thought that we were just maybe a little past it that we weren't talking about it. Okay, why do you, so do you think it's just that we are a little bit too removed from it right now? Yeah, it could be. I think... I don't think you're wrong when you say that it has changed and potentially died out because it's not being talked about on the scale that it was when we were in high school. And like, I just, I'm thinking of that 2012, 2013 period of like the Hunger Games movies coming out and, you know, Perks of Being a Wildfire, all the Shailene Woodley movies ever. Mm-hmm. like. I just, we were in the theater as those were coming out. When we saw the previews, we're like, I want to see that. And I don't think it's like that now, but I also don't think it's died out. I think Netflix original movies is the new, like, coming of age hub. Mm -hmm. Um, So those aren't being theatrically released. So obviously that's different. And then I also think YouTube is uh taking some of the target audience for these films and taking their attention away from movies being released and they're going to YouTube to get their content or TikTok or whatever. So 
I wouldn't go as far to say that YouTube is like the new coming of age where people go to get their coming of age stories, but I think more and more kids are going to YouTube and content creators to learn about life and going to those people to uh, get their guidance and get their expectations for what growing up is going to be like. They go there for makeup tips. They go there for story times. The mm-hmm. time I got super drunk and, like, the yeah. police were called. The, you know, my first time, like, relationship advice. That's, you know, the new platform for young kids. No, I agree with that. That's interesting. I didn't think about YouTube really kind of pulling attention away, but you're totally right in that. I hadn't thought about that when I was thinking about it. I was thinking of movies like Everything, Everything, Five Feet Apart, Every Day, those kind of films that had books to back them. That then when you're thinking of like Fault in Our Stars, or I remember when Fault in Our Stars came out, or like Juno, like everyone was talking about them. Even our parents, adults, grownups, like everyone knew about these movies. So why these ones who you would think would be pretty comparable, why are they not getting that same amount of attention? And I feel like if these would have come out five years ago, they would have been on that same level. So I'm kind of like, why is that? Which actually YouTube or different social media platforms, you're totally right. Or kind of the Netflix original things. That's huge now. That's something that we weren't used to growing up. So we were used to just looking at the theater for all of our new content, where now that's not the same with kids in high school. Now they're looking at that. Like, they just expect Netflix to have new content all the time. So that's interesting that maybe that is just the place now where those movies are coming. I know this one very popular YA series, The Selection, got picked up to be a Netflix original movie. Mm -hmm. Is it going to be a movie or a TV show? I think it's a movie, but the there, however many books I just read the first one today, and that's why I was <laughs> thinking about it. Um, yeah, that those would have been theatrical releases back in the day—a very popular book series yeah. being turned into a movie, but now they're being turned into a Netflix movie. So that's very possible. Yeah. And it's just those are just where it's heading now. I think I if. When we're talking about books and movies, I think the way to go now is definitely Netflix or potentially another streaming service. But I just think Netflix is kind of pulling away um, as like the coming of age hub right now, like I mentioned before. And I think a theatrical release is the completely wrong way to go um, when you're trying to target young kids. Theater prices are astronomical these days. Yeah. And... Every kid's family has a Netflix account. Your target audience is most likely going to be sitting their butt in their couch or sitting in their bed with their laptop. That is, I think, 500% more likely than a kid getting in a car nowadays or getting in a friend's car or having their parents drop them off at the theater. That Um, makes me sad. It is sad. It's very sad, and I'm not, you know, advocating for it by any means, but... It, you know, these movies are still important and they're still being made. They're just getting into the kids' hands mm-hmm. and being consumed way. by them differently. I am a big reader. That's something that obviously doesn't really come into play on this podcast. But one of my favorite genres to read besides YA is New Adult, which is, mm-hmm. I believe by definition, like 18 to 24 age range. It's kind of like college and post-college, but you're not yet like thinking like married 
children, grown-up books. It's kind of like that yeah. weird in-between life stage, which I don't think has... I can't really think of even, like, three new adult movies right now. I can think of one, and that is after. <laughs> like, that is it. <laughs> I can't think of any. But why? Because it is such a super popular, booming book genre right now. And when you think about right. pretty much any movie you know is a book or is a comic book or is some sort of written material already being made into a movie. So yeah. why is this very popular book genre not being picked up? And mm -hmm. I think one of the main issues that it has is that with being the 18 to 24 range, typically it has more or it does have a little bit more of explicit content in it like sexual content so then if you're putting it in a theater you're gonna have to rate it r but if you yeah. are targeting that audience that's college students college students don't have a lot of money don't have a lot of time and a lot of times if you're away at college don't have a way to like get to a movie theater teenagers that might want to go see it then they can't go see it if you're 16 years old then you can't go and pay to see it in the theater and like you said a lot of teenagers aren't going to the theater anymore i think netflix should start monopolizing this genre or some of these yeah. streaming services can because they can put more explicit content in it to keep it at that new adult genre level and i'm yep. not saying that you have to have more like sex in a movie or more drinking or more drugs or heavier content that new adult features in order to keep that audience but that's more authentic to that audience than like the first kiss getting the driver's license kind of experience that some coming of age films have right. netflix can include that also pretty much any college student like you said has a Netflix account or has a roommate that has a Netflix account or something along those lines that it would yeah. make it way more accessible to this audience. So I'm just yeah. petitioning. It doesn't really have anything to do with coming of age. I'm just petitioning that I think new adults should be more of a film genre. Yeah. Cause right now you pretty much have coming of age or you have grown adult stories. You do, you're missing that college age fresh out of college, figuring out true adult life. Because while becoming a teenager yeah. is huge and there are so many milestones there, there are so many things that you don't think about and that you can't include in the teenage genre that are so true to, like, adulthood and adult relationships. Right, yeah. And when you think of, like, coming-of-age movies, it's like, yeah, you think this is heavy? Just wait until you're on your own Yeah. Uh, in the world. Like, it gets so much worse. And I think some of the heavy stuff that the characters in coming-of-age movies are dealing with might not be relatable to somebody until they are in college. Mm -hmm. So then the coming-of-age film still might be relatable to them in a sense. But yeah, I agree. What's going on? Why hasn't anybody jumped on this train yet? You know what I think it is? Nobody knows what it's like to be a new adult nowadays. This is the freaking craziest time to be... A new adult? Are you kidding me? Like, I mean, yeah, I guess every generation has their problems. If you were growing up during the Vietnam War, like, that was probably crazy. That was also during, like, the Stonewall riots and everything. Obviously, I'm not saying that every generation has been hard times crazy. But, like, the stories that, like, could be told about the 18 to 24 generation. Like, we are screwed right now. Like, we don't know what the world is going to be that we are about to inherit. Like, it's insane. Everything is turning 
upside down. And then even before all of this stuff was happening in the year 2020, it's still crazy to be a young adult during this time period. But even just the general new hurdles, when you're talking about the typical hurdles that a coming-of-age movie goes through, there are so many hurdles then in the new adult genre that aren't Mm -hmm. being portrayed. And again, all the representation that is also needed within those different hurdles and such, I just think it's so lacking right now. And we just need, we need this content represented. (laughs) Yeah. And I think a lot of like, new adult content or content dealing with college it's super stereotypical and very tropey mm-hmm. we have like neighbors where it's just all about partying and frats and sororities like legally blonde not <laughs> an accurate portrayal yeah. of um an amazing film but yeah not, <laughs> we're know. not knocking legally blonde here we are a pro legally blonde <laughs> podcast but yes i wouldn't count that as new adult i literally Literally the only film that I can think about that I think classifies as new adult is After, at least in recent memory, and that is a new adult book. And clearly it's up. The movie turned out very well. The book series was very popular, so I don't get why there isn't more of that right now, especially on like these streaming services that have the ability to push the boundaries with their content. I think that's one Mm -hmm. of the reasons why I like Euphoria so much is that it feels very new adult ish in a YA setting. But I think that all has to do with HBO that they are like, let's push the boundaries people like you want to go extreme. Okay. Then let's take it to the next level. Like they are willing to do that. Yeah. Yeah, They should get on producing some of these, yeah new adult movies i agree i think not that like these movies would fall into new adult but films that are like talking about maybe like people in their early 20s it's a lot of like they already have a job and like they're successful and they're finding like their first unlikely love out of college or like out of grad school like anastasia Steele is technically a new adult but like that (sighs) you know is not relatable no so <laughs> and that's not a new adult film that's not you know that's not a coming of age anything um i think we're on the up and up with the new adults because like i mentioned earlier in this podcast the king of staten island baby it's a new adult film it's focusing on a man who's 24 and I think it is a coming-of-age story. It, he doesn't have it all figured out. He's still living at his mom's house. His hurdle to jump over is that he has not gotten over his father's passing. Really struggles with that, and it holds him back from maturing and progressing in his life. And through some unlikely circumstances and plots within the movie he's able to get over that hurdle but by the end of the movie he doesn't have it all figured out he still has a long way to go however he has progressed from where he started yeah so i think there is hope for new adult and coming of age as a person in your 20s i'm still coming of age i'm still figuring it out i'm Mm -hmm. still going over hurdles 
the high school experience is one thing that is kind of, dare I say, very similar for a lot of people, at least in the way that it's structured. Whereas after high school, that experience is very different. Mm -hmm. You know, some people go to college, some people go to trade school, some people stay at home and take a year off or they go out and travel. Like some people, people are doing very like, <laughs> yeah, there I, there's endless things that people are doing. So there's endless stories to be told about people 18 to 24 or beyond 24. So I don't yeah. know. Yes. I cannot wait to see the King of Staten Island. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to blow up. I think, I don't know. I don't want to speak too soon, but I I hope a lot of people watched it last night um, when it first came out. And I think hopefully people will start talking about it. Maude Apatow is in it. She did a great job. I know you She's love her. in everything lately. Honey must be tired. Okay. What the hell? This is what I'm saying. She's playing a high schooler in Euphoria. Then she's playing a mother in Hollywood. And now she's back to just graduating high school in the King of Staten Island. The girl has no no limitations. God love her. But what the hell does that say about women in the industry? Like, and the way we're representing women in the industry. Like, that's a whole other podcast. But baby, come on. Well, so if I... you're 25, you can play a kid. And an adult, but then what if you're 35? I know that's a thing of them constantly casting male actors way younger than they are, but female actors way older than they are. So, like, by the time that you're a 25-year-old female, you are already playing some middle-aged man's wife, where by the time you are, like, 30, you could still play a teenager if you're a man, which makes no sense. It just all has to... That is a topic for a whole other conversation. But yeah, King of Staten Island, it's a great, great film. I think near perfect. Well, it definitely would have been a theatrical release, though. We do have to keep that in mind. It would have been released in theaters if coronavirus wasn't going on. But maybe a positive thing to come out of this whole situation would be for, you know, streaming services to start catching on to the fact that... These types of movies could be released on streaming services, like you said. I wonder if they'll put it in theaters when theaters open again. I was wondering that with like endings and beginning or endings beginnings. Shailene Woodley, Sebastian Stan, Jamie Dornan, that movie that came out or was supposed to be out during Corona. That when there's kind of going to be a bit of a lull in between people releasing things and theaters opening, if they'd put them in theaters. I think if people see it and start talking about it, then it might be really successful. And then it might start a trend of films being premiering on streaming services. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michaela, mm-hmm. your favorite coming of age movie is The Spectacular Now. Yes. Would you say it's the perfect coming of age film? Yes, I would. Okay, why? I would you go think so far to say that. I think I've already touched on that. Oh, hold on. I'm going to squeak my chair around so I can get comfortable. <laughs> um, I've already talked about this in some previous episodes in our like top five movies of all time and our top TV scenes of all time because it's been featured in both of those. So I don't need to get too much farther into it or repeat myself too much, but I do think The Spectacular Now is the perfect coming-of-age film, at least for me personally. It has everything that I look for. It has authentic portrayal of teenagers. It has a good balance of lightheartedness and innocence that is 
adolescents, but also yeah. enough serious issues that they it does not seem like superficial or um, like a stereotype or a trope portrayed in it. It has relatable characters. It has, when I was talking about relationship with parent, relationship with self, or relationship with another person, it has all three in that aspect. Yeah. Sutter in particular has the relationship with his dad, who is estranged, his relationship with Amy, and his relationship with himself. And then Amy has her relationship with her mom, relationship with Sutter, and relationship with herself. Um, there's such a huge growth that both of the characters go through in the film that by the end of it, Sutter and Amy are not the same characters that they are when they started and that all has to do with uh, how their relationship unfolded between them and the hurdles that they faced and how they overcame them together and both on their own. Um, yeah. It's very simplistic and classic. It doesn't rely heavily on pop culture references or uh, technology. There's not a lot mm -hmm. of like phone usage. There's some, there's a computer in it. You know, he's applying for college, but it's not overdone in any way. Um, it has two of my favorite actors of all time. So I can't <laughs> help but just love it. I think Miles Teller plays Sutter perfectly. I think Shailene Woodley plays Amy perfectly and brings such dimension to two characters who on the surface could be very like you have a party boy and you have a shy girl, but they're not when you get underneath that. So it goes deeper mm -hmm. than all that. I don't, it has a great soundtrack. I think YA movies always have great soundtracks. Yeah, I mean, I could literally just keep rambling on. I love this movie so much. And if you haven't seen it yet, it is on Netflix. I highly suggest watching it. It's so good mm -hmm. for me. And I think, as we said, everyone wants to see their own personal experiences uh, portrayed in a coming-of-age mm -hmm. movie. And I see a lot of myself in Sutter and a lot of myself in Amy. So mm -hmm. that speaks to me watching this, whereas other movies, you know, obviously are going to speak towards different people, but it's just, yeah. it's perfect. It's perfection and I'll stop. <laughs> and Katie, we know Lady Bird is your perfect coming of age film of all time. So why is that? Um, well, I think this film is just the perfect film in general for multiple reasons. The writing is spectacular. The direction is spectacular. I think Greta just knew her vision and just freaking went for it. And it's amazing. I think it's the perfect coming of age film because I think something aiding in its favor is that it takes place in 2002 when the writer and creator of the film was a young person Although she has stated that this is not a biographical film at all, so it's not based on her life. But, you know, you have to acknowledge the fictionalized aspects of this film and that is a, that it is a work of imagination and fiction. But I'm a strong believer that fiction supposes life and there is truth in every story, even if your story has, like, dragons and crazy stuff going on. There's always aspects of life in every story. And I think the truthfulness in Lady Bird just shines through the human experience, authentic human experience that I, as a film viewer, thirst and hunger for. It It's so palpable in this film. 
and not everybody's going to be able to relate to it and to Lady Bird and her struggles, and that's okay. I think the examination of the mother-daughter relationship is perfect. Again, this type of mother-daughter relationship, not every mother-daughter relationship is like this, obviously. But I just love the quickness of their relationship, how they go from good moments about crying over grapes of wrath, and then Lady Bird is out the car in the Eat next couple the seconds, and that that is so... So, I mean, obviously it's a c- kind of dramatic, but that is so, again, coming from a place of truth of, like, how mother-daughter relationships operate, I think, so often in coming of age, the parental figure is either the bad guy fully or just this, like, unconditional supporter and, like, enabler of the protagonist young person. And I think this examination of their relationship is very well done in getting rid of that, like, one-sidedness. There's no condescending tone because, again, 2002, that's when Greta knows this time. She knows what it was like to be a young person during this time. Yeah, I just think every moment in it is intentional and builds on Lady Bird as a character. Uh, Lady Bird does figure something out. She you know, is kind of struggling to be popular and create this, like, image and version of herself that she has in her head that she wants to be, you know, fantasizing about the Big Blue House, giving herself the name Lady Bird, dropping her friend Beanie Feldstein to be friends with the popular kids, trying to get a boyfriend and all this stuff. She kind of gets over that, and that's the hurdle that she is able to jump over that we see in this film. She is like, no, I want to go to prom, and then she goes and is with Beanie, it's a wonderful moment. It's like, okay, she figured something out. She's grown. She's matured. But this mother-daughter relationship is still flawed and imperfect. That's something that she's going to have to continue working on. She's going to have to figure out how to navigate this life away from Sacramento, the town that she has hated, you know, her entire life. And now she's somewhere else and it's not all she thought it was going to be. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. I just love it. I think it's perfect. And beautiful and there's no possible way that I can articulate it if you haven't seen this film go watch it if you have seen it and didn't appreciate it um maybe go back and rewatch it now that I have talked about it <laughs> no but I get what you uh. say when you're like talking about articulating it at the end that I feel like we've said this before but when you love something or admire something so much I find it harder to articulate why rather than just saying mm-hmm. I love it or it's great and yeah. this is great but I think you did a really good job of saying why you think it's a really good movie so and very well done so props to you Katie thank you yeah basically yeah. a movie to gut me yeah pull out my heart shred it up mush it back together and then leave me feeling Almost unoptimistic about the future. Uno- Jesus, unoptimistic. Pessimistic about the future. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. It should be cathartic. It should be an emotional, painfully emotional, evocative, like, release. Because you feel what they're feeling so hard. You're reverted back to when you were 16 and everything just felt like the goddamn end of the world. Like... Mm-hmm. That is the emotion that, especially with somebody 
who was older and maybe not in that place anymore, being able to evoke that emotion is hard to do. But if you can do it, more power to you because, like, that's a feeling that's hard to recreate once you're past that period of time in your life. Yeah. Oh, my God. Jack and I watched the first episode of the new season of Queer Eye and we both cried. Oh, I haven't gotten around to watching any of them yet, but I have them on my watch list. We were crying, like, a lot. Oh, my God. <laughs> the first so episode. It's with the pastor who's, like, struggling with his sexuality. Yes. <laughs> That's a different thing. He is in his own stage of coming of age. Yeah. See, that's what you never stop coming of age. That's why I think yeah. that these movies just transcend because you never stop growing as, or I hope you never stop growing as a person. Yeah. You are always, this YouTube creator talks about this, you are always in full bloom. You are always the person that you are supposed to be. You're not blooming. You're not in the act of blooming and you're not going to arrive at the person you're meant to be. You are the person you're meant to be and you're growing. That is a part of who you're supposed to be. You are perfect the way you are, sisters. We love you. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we should wrap this up. We're getting a little long this here. Is this is a gonna long be a, one. Jeez. A hoot and a half to edit, let me tell you. Am I the Sophia Franklin of this podcast being like, have fun, <laughs> <editing> Katie? <laughs> yes. And then you're like, yeah, we edit it together. <laughs> Just don't say that and I won't, I won't uh, cut you out. It's 50-50, guys. <laughs> no, it's definitely 50-50. It is 50-50. We just have different roles that we take on. Katie does 100% yes. of the editing, so. Y'all. Okay, so we got another cringe series episode hitting you guys next week. We're going to be talking about the kissing booth before kissing booth 2 comes out, because we will be covering that when it comes out. All right, guys. Well, we will see you next week, and we hope that you enjoyed this episode about coming of age, mm-hmm. and we wish you the best on your journey to coming of age (laughs) um make sure to check out the description of this episode Mm -hmm. and the uh, links that we have in there to petitions places to donate places to find information playlists to have on in the background the ads will donate for you Mm -hmm. and a bunch of other stuff we love you guys stay strong stay safe stay healthy yes lilas lilas woo